So that is the sound of a money counting machine. It's from a 95 second video published by the FSB, Russia's Federal Security Service. And like this moment, when they're counting up all the money, these like fat stacks of paper cash, comes at the very end of the video. It's kind of the like climax of the whole thing. The bulk of the video is essentially like a very high stakes, very Russian episode of Cops. And it's the same like cop style scene playing over and over again. Some people in uniform, some in plain clothes, with their faces blurred, approach like a door in an apartment block. And they knock the door down, they go in and they drag out whoever's inside. Their faces also blurred and they arrest them. One after another, we see person after person get picked up by the security forces team. And the back half of the video is everything they find in these apartments. It's like the loot, computers, laptops, a screenshot of like a crypto wallet with a seven figure balance and a ton of cash. So much so that they needed this machine to count it, which is how the video ends. That Russia's FSB is arresting people isn't really that interesting. That they posted like a victory lap video on social media isn't that unique. But who they arrested, I think we got to talk about that, Scott. Let's talk about it. Because this arrest like marks potentially the end of like a very notable era in the world of international cybercrime at a very relevant moment in global geopolitics. For years, there's been like this sort of like meta narrative in news media about cybercrime. And it's that Russia is home to a lot of the world's cybercrime and the Kremlin turns a blind eye to it as long as those hackers' targets aren't Russian. And as like international most wanted lists just got fuller and fuller of hackers from that part of the world, it got harder and harder to believe that Russia was at all interested in stopping it. And if you were to look at that list of most wanted cyber criminals, if you were to really look for one of the apex predators in terms of like hacking gangs in that ecosystem, you'd find this group called R-Evil. R-Evil is short for ransomware evil. It's like a private ransomware as a service operation. The ransomware software was behind the Microsoft Exchange server hack last year, the infamous beef plant hack at JBS, and this one other hack we're going to talk about from last year that you've almost certainly heard of. And this month, some comms person at the Russian Federal Security Service sat down at their computer and uploaded this video, announcing to the world that after years in operation, our evil had finally been arrested. One person at a time, doors getting knocked down in their apartment, all their rubles getting counted up by a machine. The end of our evil. So this is... I think we treat it kind of like our post-mortem episode where we're going to reflect on one of these like really prolific actors in the world of Russian cybercrime over the last couple of years, their greatest hits, and then like speculating wildly why they finally got taken down here on Hacked. How's your day, Scott? My day is great, Jordan. How's your day? My day's pretty good. Pretty pretty wild time to be making an episode talking about talking about this part Talk, of the world. Talking about Russia. Why? What's Russia up to? I haven't seen them in the news at all. I haven't been on the internet in two weeks. <laughs> being of uh, mon- mo- a moderate amount of Ukrainian descent, uh, there's some Ukrainian <laughs> enemy somewhere. Uh, I have no idea what they're up to. <laughs> Well, I have terrible news. Um, <laughs> this is a weird one 
because like, well, for obvious reasons, researching it even like seven days ago, writing it over the last week and now in that stretch of time, a whole bunch of stuff has changed. And almost guaranteed by the time anyone listening to this, uh, more will have changed. Hopefully better, who knows. Um, but it makes talking about some of this tricky. Yeah. What isn't tricky is like the core story here that isn't going to change because we're looking backwards. Uh, the story of this group are evil, what they did, and why, why they finally went down. So I think we can talk about that. Let's let's not talk about what they're up to and let's talk about what they've been up to. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Let's look backwards yeah. at a time when forwards looks weird. Yeah. Uh, Scott, you've worked in software. When you make software, shipping it is only part of the battle, right? Because then you have to update it over time. You have to like keep the thing going. And that's a lot of the work, right? Oh, maintaining something? Yeah. It's like you've seen the, the entire software industry shift from you know walking into a Best Buy or a, a store and buying a piece of software off the shelf for $49.99 to <laughs> $6 a month because sure. companies realize that software requires perpetual... You know, updating maintenance to keep it kind of alive and going. And you're seeing that shift across pretty much all mm -hmm. software and video games now. Any kind of living game environment, you know, they might make a ton of money on day one, a ton of pre-orders and stuff. But if there's an expectation of a constantly delivered service, that's why we're seeing things like microtransactions and software as a service and things like that. So I think it's a, I think it's a logical step. But yes, to answer your original question, software <laughs> requires maintenance. <laughs> Often. Which brings us pretty nicely to the start of Our Evil, back before they even were called Our Evil. Back in 2018, one of the first big stories of like ransomware as a service was this strain of ransomware called G and C Rap. Uh, like most ransomware, G and C would, you know, hold a file on an infected system hostage unless you paid a ransom. But the thing that made G and C different. Uh, and maybe the thing that kind of led it to eclipse the success of other competing ransomware like affiliate style programs was that, as you said, its authors worked like a software company to update the malware over time so that it could evade antivirus and like security software. Mm -hmm. GNC approached ransomware as a service way more like a software company, way more in the business of updating than most of their competitors at that time. They were in the business of patching this stuff. If you're buying ransomware, I would imagine that's pretty compelling, right? Like, because otherwise you don't know if what you're buying has been like addressed by the other side. Mm -hmm. In the 15 month span of GNC's like affiliate style business, starting in January 2018, its curator shipped five major revisions to the like the base code essentially, each lining up with some like someone on the defensive side's attempt to like build up a wall around it. Uh, this sort of like arms race that they were engaged in, and they were they did a pretty good job of it. Brian Krebs from Krebs on Security, gangster on his worst day, uh, managed to follow the breadcrumbs of GNC's posts on the cybercrime forum exploit.in, concluding that he'd he thinks he'd figured out who one of the hackers behind it was, someone named Igor Prokopenko, um, whose name wasn't in the list of people who were arrested, which raises all sorts of interesting questions. But as quickly as GNC burst onto the scene, it seemed as though it had shuttered in 2019. In a post on exploit.in, uh, the user that Krebs identified wrote a post that read, quote, We ourselves have earned over $150 million in one year. This money has been successfully cashed out and invested in various legal projects, both online and offline. It was a pleasure to work with you, but like we said, all things come to an end. We're getting a well-deserved retirement. We are living proof you can do evil and get off scot-free. 
We have proved that one can make a lifetime of money in one year. We've proved that you can become number one by general admission, not in your own conceit. In one year, people who worked with us have earned over $2 billion. Our name became a generic term for ransomware in the underground. The average weekly income of the project was $2.5 million. Russian security firm Kaspersky Lab estimated by the time the program wrapped up, GNC made up of half of the global ransomware market. And this was like three years ago. Yeah. So this is a story of like a runaway success, right? Like you just retire at the height of your power. Sure, this is a Forbes article about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg walking <laughs> away from Facebook. This is, uh, this is MySpace Tom <laughs> checking out <laughs> at his peak and just traveling the world. God, what a hero! Right? Those are those are some crazy those are some crazy numbers. Like we should talk about the size of those numbers. Like, oh, uh, insane! Like 150 million dollars in take home profit mm-hmm. is like you know, say a c- company averages eight to ten percent net income or profit. You'd have to be doing billions of dollars in revenue. Granted, they're mm-hmm. all profit, right? Like they don't really have all big profit. overheads. They would have overheads, but they wouldn't be huge. So. It's madness to think that, like, you know, that little ransomware company was essentially a billion-plus-dollar enterprise. Hundred percent. Like the yeah, these companies would be on Forbes. Yeah, exactly. Like they'd be a big deal. They'd be publicly traded. Yeah, you could buy like like they're almost a blue chip. Like you could buy (laughs) you could responsibly buy shares in R Evil if you wanted to. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to think like for like like. uh, the shares been beaten up a little bit right now, but I'm trying to think what Peloton's gross revenues are. Like they're mm. probably probably in kind of that realm of like a medium medium sized tech startup. Hundred <laughs> percent. And people don't keep writing television scenes where people die on our evil ransomware. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Peloton makes eight hundred million dollars in revenue last year oh, and God. had a net income of minus four hundred million. Where these oh, guys, wow. these guys made a, a hefty profit of 150 million. So, you know, just saying. Which one would you rather invest in? In one year, people who worked with us have earned over two billion US. Like, their business model is really good. It's this affiliate thing where, like, they make the product and they use it and they use it in their own hacks. Yeah. But then they'll license it to other people and they get a cut of those profits too. It's like this is is very well considered. <laughs> Like it's like a, it's like an affiliate marketing scam, except for that it's criminal. You know, it's the same kind of principle. It's a uh, a, a pyramid scheme. It's a Melaleuca or an Amway or whatever. That's that's fascinating. Good for them. Good business model. They've taken it, taken, taken peer-to-peer marketing or whatever that stuff's called, multi-level marketing, <laughs> and applied it to the criminal world. And they got out like on top. Yeah, but. In the months that followed, as like new strains of ransomware started emerging in that same ecosystem, um, this theory starts to kind of bubble up, based on a growing body of evidence suggesting that like maybe the people behind GNC who'd like famously checked out right at the top, maybe they hadn't actually retired. Maybe they'd done that publicly while they turned onto this like new project, bringing our attention to this new piece of ransomware that was making the rounds in 2019. At first, like a far more like behind closed doors bespoke private ransomware as a service offering. In late April, researchers at Cisco Talos spotted a new ransomware strain dubbed 
Soda no Kibi, which eventually took on like another name in the community, uh, the name that its creators would adopt as their own, R Evil. And the R Evil strain was a hit. It was like another hit, a hit after a hit. It was the iPhone, like right after the iPod, Lion King, right after Aladdin, R Evil, right after GNC. If you're a, you know, if you're, say you're a musician, it's going to be hard to be a creator, you know, and create something that's so sure. impactful and so amazing. How do you follow it? And like, gr granted that it's a bunch of evil, and then to walk away and retire young and be like, you know what, I'm going to, you know, spend more time with my family and I'm out of here. <laughs> and then to sit every day being like, I've achieved greatness and I can achieve it again. Totally. You know, it's got to be. I know I have the ability. Yeah, the trials and tribulations of the, the human psyche. <laughs> If you were interested in tracking uh, their process throughout all this, like what hacks our evil's products were behind, what groups they were working with, you had to go no further than the Happy Blog. Happy Blog was our evil's official, like almost like PR page. And for roughly the next two years, uh, our evil's Happy Blog is just knocking out press release after press release, naming and shaming all of these like new victims every single week. And it's, it's a pretty impressive run because out of these hacks, you will recognize a lot of them. Um, so it's worth talking briefly about some of their big hacks before we get to really the big one. Do you remember the JBS meatpacking supply hack, Scott? I do not. It was one of the first ones in 2020 that like, it was part of this like pattern of like, oh, we're actually seeing disruptions in North American supply chains. Um, they went after a meat packing supplier called JBS um, and ended up making them, I think, 11 million bucks off this one hack alone. And it and it genuinely did disrupt a small corner of the food supply chain. It wasn't ginormous, but we saw there's certain people who aren't able to buy certain products because of some hackers from another country. And that was pretty novel at the time in North America. Two months later, uh, they put another post up on their happy blog explaining how they'd incapacitated thousands of small and medium-sized businesses in North America after exploiting a vulnerability in the update mechanism of a piece of IT management software called Kaseya. Mm -hmm. um, Kaseya made this IT management software and our evil used it as like an attack vector for a supply chain attack, which we've talked about before on this show. Mm -hmm. So they're posting about all these different, you know, multi-million dollar hacks weekly, sometimes daily for this whole run of like time. And at this point, everyone online knows that GNC had become our evil. And at this point, people are going, this is just more of their uninterrupted success. First, they were doing it under that name. Now they're doing it here. But wow, this crew of people cannot be stopped. A February 2020 analysis uh, from research researchers at IBM found that our evil had earned more than 120 million bucks in 2020 alone. They were doing food stuff. They were doing IT stuff. There was really nothing they wouldn't go after or empower their affiliates to go after as long as they were getting a cut of the profits. Mm -hmm. 2020 was just sort of a warm-up. Their products were out in the world. They're raking in the cash. And this is where I'm going to speculate a little here. But I think between the like hit that was GNC, like that feeling you talked about, Scott, where they're sitting there in retirement reflecting on you know what they can do and wondering... Why am I not seeing how far I can go? I think that this is when they kind of started to get a little bit cocky by the standards of an already really cocky crew. Sure. Um, <laughs> and like the retirement post for GNC sort of showed that a little bit. You know that they they really acknowledged the scale of what they'd achieved, but they start to go a little bit further here in this like 
Jay-Z and Kanye watch the throne type moment, they start looking around for who's the other big dog that we could collaborate with. Like who can we drop a, a record with? And they start looking around for the other big player on the scene, a collaborator worthy of their clout. And they found that collaborator for their next hack, the one where they maybe fly a little close to the sun with a hacking group called Darkside. I'm not sure if you remember hearing about Darkside, Scott, but they were a hacking group that showed up in 2020. And they kind of like, I feel like the headline we might have bumped into was that they fashioned themselves as sort of like a Robin Hood hacking crew at first. Sure. Like, do you remember hearing about that? Yeah. Yeah, this, this rings bells. Yeah, they're the ones that donated like, the story that kind of came up was, uh, I think Children's International and uh, like a water nonprofit had both gotten Bitcoin donations. From them that they'd stolen from someone else. From them that they'd stolen from somebody else. Uh, so these charities had to be like, we are not keeping this money. It was a very confusing situation. There's been some speculation that Darkseid has a relationship with our evil. They're both right. Like, point being is that in the summer of 2021, our evil and Darkseid decide they're going to do this collab. And it's going to be <laughs> a big one. Like a very, very flashy one. I love the idea of talking about it like as a collab. Like it's two artists meeting up to like jam out and make like, you know. <laughs> It's, you know, it's John Lennon and, you know, Nos, and they're going to make sure. some insane, you know, genre bending album. I love this. I love this. I love the way you talk about it. It's a, they're, they're going to drop the record of the year, song of the summer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, top 10 bop that went by the name, uh, you may have heard it, of Colonial Pipeline. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, Colonial Pipeline was kind of a watershed moment in like recent cyber diplomacy, uh, and it all turned on one single password. Colonial Pipeline Chief Executive Joseph Blount told U.S. Senate Committee that the uh, attack vector for the Colonial Pipeline hack was, and we've talked about this before, an out-of-date VPN that didn't have multi-factor authentication in place, which meant that the way you could control and shut down this entire pipeline hinged on one single password. That was written um, on a sticky note and hadn't been changed between <laughs> the 300 employees that had come and gone. The result of that vulnerability was a ransomware attack that shuttered 5,500 miles of pipeline stranding. We still don't know how much, uh, like untold barrels of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel all along the Gulf Coast. Like a major supply chain disruption to the transportation industry. Uh, the Colonial Pipeline hack followed the, like, still very common practice of double extortion, which is a phrase I hadn't really heard before, which involves you demand separate sums for the digital key needed to unlock the files and then another sum for the promise to destroy everything you took. Like, <laughs> you're going to have to pay if you want your stuff back, and then if you want us to not have it, you're going to have to pay again. That is the genre bender right there. You know? That is the... <laughs> That's that what, fusion. That's what, that's what John Lennon needed from Nas. He needed that push to go one step further, you know? God, I wish John Lennon and Nas could have done a, <laughs> like a, a, like, I know you're joking, but I just want to hear it, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm on to something here. Too bad it's sadly impossible. Yeah. In a negotiation that started at, it was like a $30 million opening bid. It ended up resolving a little over, like, a, I think, $11 million. Colonial Pipeline eventually did come back online, but it had created this like very attention-grabbing uh, supply chain disruption in the United States. They'd gotten the like, there's Russian hackers who the Kremlin keeps tolerating uh, story 
in the news in a way that it had never really been before in the States. And it started to become clear that this group of people might have finally found a level of attention that they were uncomfortable with. Like Colonial Pipeline made news in a way that few hacks do. And you had this, like, these evocative images of people just lined up around the street um, at gas pumps trying to fill their cars. And we've seen on this show that you can, you can mess with a lot of things and people will tolerate it. Like you can flood a small town with sewage and no one seems to really mind that much. You can shut <laughs> down a meatpacking plant and it's one story you'll read that day. But if you throttle like oil along the entire eastern seaboard, you crossed some kind of line. Yeah, you're shutting down critical infrastructure. You're shutting down critical infrastructure. Yeah. The economy needs to keep moving. It needs oil and gas to do that, Jordan. And you have pumped the brakes on that <laughs> process, and people don't like that. And so Darkside and Arrival at first try and you know pump the brakes a little bit. They put out a statement on their site clarifying that infrastructure attacks aren't their business. Quote, we are apolitical. We do not participate in geopolitics. You do not need to tie us with a defined government and look for our motives. Our goal is to make money, not creating problems for society. From today, we introduce moderation and check each company that our partners want to encrypt to avoid social consequences in the future. So this is our evil kind of trying to distance themselves from dark side, dark side trying sure. to distance themselves from our evil. It's like a PR statement to like, you know, deal with crisis intervention for a hacking group that's now being drugged into geopolitical things. We promise to do better. Oh, we we made the tweet. Yeah, we made the tweet, and you know we now see the error in our ways. <laughs> you know the classic. You know, mm -hmm. I said something offensive on the internet. Now I want to take it back. Yeah, mistakes were made. <laughs> mistakes were made. I've I've grown and learned a lot since then. We're sorry. We attached your pipeline, <laughs> but also give me my money. But it's too late, right? And things start to shift. On November 4th of that year, Romanian authorities arrested two individuals suspected of being involved in the our evil ransomware. A couple days later, another five people get arrested in cooperation with like France, Germany, Romania, Europol, and Eurojust. So a couple of these people are starting to get picked up. They'd, they'd flown a little too close to the sun. They'd attracted like an irresponsible amount of attention and now they're in trouble. But importantly, and this goes back to those GNC blog posts from years earlier, there was still one place where they'd proven that, quote, they could do evil and get off scot-free. Um, they had a, a, a part of the world, as long as they just stayed there, it kind of functioned as a safe zone, where even if the US and Interpol and all these groups knew your name, even if your peers in other countries were getting arrested, as long as you stayed here, you could continue to operate. This like fortress of solitude, the size of the largest country on earth. What happened to our evil there after the break? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 
All you want is to meet your security and compliance requirements. But your business technology keeps changing. Cyber threats emerge every day. More regulations apply to you now than ever before. And your IT resources remain limited. The Center for Internet Security can help. At CIS, we work to create a safer world for people, businesses, and governments through collaboration and innovation. Using a community-driven consensus process, we work with IT professionals and volunteers around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources save you time, money, and effort wherever you are on your cybersecurity journey. We also work with U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations to share information with one another so they're stronger together. Join us today in creating confidence in the connected world. Visit cisecurity.org to play your part. All you want is to meet your security and compliance requirements. But your business technology keeps changing. Cyber threats emerge every day. More regulations apply to you now than ever before, and your IT resources remain limited. The Center for Internet Security can help. At CIS, we work to create a safer world for people, businesses, and governments through collaboration and innovation. Using a community-driven consensus process, we work with IT professionals and volunteers around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources save you time, money, and effort wherever you are on your cybersecurity journey. We also work with U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations to share information with one another so they're stronger together. Join us today in creating confidence in the connected world. Visit cisecurity.org to play your part. The White House says that this call between President Biden and Vladimir Putin yesterday lasted for nearly an hour and that President Biden basically told Putin that he was running out of time and he needs to help the U.S. crack down on these ransomware attacks now or the U.S. is going to take action. So there's this press event, right, where it's, it's Joe Biden and he's, he's telling the press about this phone call he had where he pressed Russian President Vladimir Putin to take action to try and like pump the brakes on ransomware coming out of their country from these private groups. He says, quote, When ransomware operation is coming from his soil, even though it's not, not sponsored by the state, we expect them to act. The U.S. and a bunch of countries have been like formally asking Russia for quite a while to arrest cyber criminals, specifically ransomware operators whose names they know. For a long time, we've kind of like seen the architecture of this unspoken agreement in how ransomware groups like R-Evil and Darkside and GNC before that, like how they work. Providing ransomware as a service means giving up a little bit of control over who gets targeted by your software. That's, you know, the nature of any affiliate or franchise style business. Like you try your best to vet them, but you got to have some quality controls because who knows who's going to come knocking looking to open a Subway like sandwich shop. But all of these tools and all these groups, they had certain things in common, certain checks and balances. Importantly, that if the software detected that if your device's default language was Russian, it would not lock down your files. Which means that either these hackers are all very, very patriotic, or there's like an unspoken thing here that as long as Russian-speaking hackers weren't targeting Russian-speaking victims, it was cool. They could proceed. Yeah, I remember, I remember reading all about this about how they, they were filtering out data and they were not attacking like local targets. I thought that was very fascinating. Mm-hmm. 
It just felt it just felt very Russian to me, you know. It, it, it did feel patriotic <laughs> to me. Like it felt it just felt like something that you know. I feel sure. like American greed is American greed, but Russian greed <laughs> is is Russian greed without wanting to harm ones like countrymen. Stand, you know, Russian greed stands in solidarity. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like it, I found it, I found it very interesting. When I'm sure. I don't really know the answer to this, but like I know the base mechanism has to do with like language detection. I'm sure it got more like nuanced by the end of this, right? Like I'm sure it went just beyond what language a computer was on and like got into like I don't really know how you would keep track of that. Yeah, and like all files that have text in them will have a character set coding for for what they're right. what they're using. Cyrillic versus yeah, you'd be yeah. able to check in. Like there'd be a lot of ways to detect it, but. To make a make a, a boolean decision as is this computer Russian or not, to within a degree of tolerance that we're willing to, you know, is probably pretty easy. Well, and then it's still ransomware, right? So on the far side of that, if it turns out like one slipped through and they start talking to you and you realize you're like, oh, okay, never mind, have your stuff back. Like we 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 know how this works. Yeah, yeah. If the chat window pops up and the guy's yelling at you in Russian, you just like hit the undo button. Hundred percent unencrypt. <laughs> Goodbye. Have a good day. Yeah, yeah. We're sorry about this. Sorry, sir. We thought you were. It we, won't happen again. We your IP address was pinging Washington D.C. You know, we didn't uh, we didn't think you were potentially. So, You're like, yeah, I was using a VPN. <laughs> like the sponsors of this episode, no. Yeah. Uh, which is what makes <laughs> <laughs> all of this is what makes this arrest that happened this last month so notable is that it wasn't Interpol, it wasn't the US, it was Russia arresting Russian hackers who had not hacked Russian victims. This is something new. When you talk about like Russian hackers, like you, you have to make the distinction between state-sponsored and private groups. This has all been the story of a private hacking group, like they're for-profit individuals. And I think if we're going to talk about this, we, we, it's worth acknowledging that as this arrest was taking place of this private Russian hacking group, some other hacking in Russia was going on. On January 14th, within, I think, two days of these arrests starting, attacks affecting nearly 80 different Ukrainian government agency sites were taking place, replacing pages with this message written in multiple languages that read, quote, be afraid and expect the worst. Oh, my God. And that's like a pretty entry level tactic. We've talked about this defacement. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's not a, a high level tactic, but only a day after that defacement, things started escalating. On January 15th, a data wiping malware uh, targeted the internal systems of a dozen or so Ukrainian government agencies, nonprofits, and IT companies. Microsoft spots it first. And according to researchers, it's a malware that's designed to look like ransomware but was actually this special type of software designed to be like just destructive sure. and render target devices inoperable. This hack, unlike our evil, was not about money. It was just about chaos. And it allegedly and intuitively caused a lot of damage to different government agency websites and infrastructure. And Ukrainian officials have said that the two acts appear to have been coordinated to occur at roughly the same time. And this is just the new stuff. In 2015, hackers disabled Ukraine's power grid, which led to a blackout in Ukraine's capital city of Kiev. Like, some hackers took control of some SCADA systems, they busted up IT infrastructure, and they used malware to remotely switch off like all these electrical substations, which plunged like a quarter million people into darkness. 
There's NoPetya in 2017 that did like $10 billion in damage to Ukraine's financial system. As Russia was arresting Russian hackers, Russia be hacking. <laughs> Russia be employing those hackers, maybe, question mark. <laughs> Russia might be hacking. <laughs> like, we talk a lot about cyber war here on the show, but I bumped into a phrase while I was reading about this that I hadn't really heard and it was, uh, I thought it was interesting. It's hybrid war. Oh, yeah. Which is when you amass troops in real life and online at the same time sure. against the yeah, same enemy. Just completely cripple a country and then actually go in and attack said country. And when I think about that, I get really scared. <laughs> and it makes you think about our evil in like, especially the arrest of our evil in kind of different ways. This is sad, but my brain goes to every pop culture hacking TV show ever made, where it begins sure. with black hat hacker being caught by the FBI, the FBI then offering them an olive branch of becoming a member of the FBI or whatever the you know, three-letter mm. agency name is. And I feel like that's, that's probably not untrue of what goes on in Russia. Like mm. When you talk about posturing and war and you know, you know, aggression, wouldn't you want the best? weapons in your mm. in your armor army and like in your best tools in your toolbox and it's like mm -hmm. if you're arresting literally the world's greatest you know malware and hacking guys or groups why would you not offer them an olive branch and be like actually hey we're thinking about invading these countries do you want to come facilitate that with us mm -hmm. so that's where my head goes to is it goes to pop culture tv sure <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even get there. It's like you're you're um you're amassing resources a little bit. It's yeah. like first we gotta pull you off a street, but then we're gonna have a conversation. It's like, hey, you got two options here. Gulag or <laughs> like essentially bureaucratic royalty. Which one would you prefer? Yeah. You you're already independently wealthy. Yeah. Do you want to do this same thing you've been doing for, huh, that's an interesting take. We're going to let you keep all your money. We're going to let you live in the nicest St. Petersburg apartments. And all you have to do is come yeah. to work every day and attack who we tell you rather than who you want to. So. Huh. Huh. Nation I like that. I, I don't like attacks. that. I hate that. Yeah, but I I think that's a that's a very interesting take, and it's kind of compatible with I think where my brain went to, which is that like so you're 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 Russia, and you've got this war that you're interested in rate in waging, and you're amassing like digital and physical troops at your enemy's borders, so to speak. But at the same time, you've got this like digital insurgent group inside your own borders, picking a fight with an unrelated target, the other like big dog in the yard. And while you're trying to wage your war on your barter, border, this insurgent group is picking their own fight against this unrelated huge threat. And you start to notice, right, that, okay, these folks inside my borders keep picking this fight. And if they keep doing that, the people they're fighting might take my enemy's side. So you probably want to shut that insurgency group down so they don't keep attracting any more attention than you're already getting for the war that you want to be waging so that you can keep attacking your enemy without all this negative spotlight shining down on you see see i i i agree with you in like yeah. a a thing but i think the 
where my mind goes is in the world that we live in, where if you're going to be an aggressive nation state, like we are so technologically driven as a as a as a globe now, like every single country, it doesn't matter, you know, first world, second world, third world, whatever. We all have communication networks. We all have computer controlled uh, infrastructure. We all have, et cetera, et cetera. Russia being more cool with uh, <laughs> hacking and things like that for the last 20 years has led sure. to them now probably truthfully becoming the global specialists at it. You know, they've allowed sure. people to learn and train, and sharpen and tune and profit from these tools and skills and tactics, which has allowed them to evolve them where, you know, look at the, like, and two or three episodes ago, we were talking about somebody who viewed the source of their website getting charged mm -hmm. in the United States. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think that would happen in Russia. Mm -mm. So it's <laughs> like, you know, we, many nations are now underdeveloped where certain yep. nations, notably Russia and probably North Korea, are probably overdeveloped. Very developed. So, you know, if you look at it as training and skilled development, which is a weird yeah, way to sure. look at it, but your capacity building. Capacity building for future wars. <laughs> Russia has been capacity building for a lot longer than a lot of other places. So, you know, we have specialists here, you know, that work for the NSAs and the CIAs and stuff like that. But I don't think it's the same incentive as the profit incentive of no. the way that Russia's been learning it. I think it's I think you're totally right. And I think that even if we think of it like capacity building, where by allowing these people to do this for so long unchecked, you've allowed them to develop tools and technology. It's like it's like IP. They've developed totally. all of this great new stuff. Um, you've built this capacity. But I think it's compatible with this idea that you've also, from a diplomatic perspective, you've built a bargaining chip. Like you've built this thing that you can take on or off the the table and that has some diplomatic utility yeah during the our evil arrests on friday officials from fsb and the department of ministry of internal affairs seized computer equipment i think 20 luxury cars like five and a half million rubles just sort of laying around a few million more <laughs> in crypto but it's thought that this is just like this tiny constitute of what this group had earned over the years this was what was in their house essentially yeah and sure. who knows where the rest like of it I, is i only had 10 million dollars in cash sitting under my bed but the rest is 100 buried in bank accounts and investments around the world totally you look at the blog posts and then you look at what's buried in their mattress and i'm like i'm sure some of this is you know bullshit and but i'm also sure that this is just a fraction of what you have like buried in the woods somewhere is a crypto wallet like i believe yeah, yeah. that <laughs> in all of this uh, there's this one figure we didn't really talk about, and it's R. Evil's most prominent voice, a hacker who went by the name uh, Unknown. And at some point over the last couple of years, Unknown gives this interview with a very relevant quote that I think we'll end on. Unknown says, quote, I don't want to be a bargaining chip. We brushed up against politics and nothing good came of it, only losses. And with the current geopolitical relationships, Everything is very beneficial for us without any interference. And now no one was talking about the then current geopolitical relationships. Relationships that have changed and are changing and will have changed by the time most people listen to this. And as those, you know, bigger geopolitical relationships change, it's almost like the earth moving under the feet of these hackers who built their whole enterprise on top of it. 
and suddenly they've temporarily at least become exactly what Unknown and Our Evil were afraid of becoming, a bargaining chip. Thanks for listening, everybody. Big old shout out to our new Patreons this month, patreon.com slash hackedpodcast. I just want to thank Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Kathleen boys. Time for crab. Thank you. Oslio. Osley Zero. Thank you. Luke DeLuke. Thanks. Kevin Bragg. Thumbs up, Kevin. Steven Decker. Do really appreciate it. And last but not least, Danny. Thank you. If you like this episode, if you like the show, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash hacked podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This was a really interesting one to put together. I hope it was a timely, interesting one for you to listen to. And we are excited to catch you back here in the next one. See you soon.